Hi FM, 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9. Hi FM, I'm your host Rabbi Ari Kivan. It's great to be with you here live from the fabulous Hi FM studio. I just got an in-person tour of the great plans that are being built right here in the studio with Kathy Kaler and a great shout out here to the entire team sitting here in the studio with Craig, who's pushing all the buttons and making sure that this studio works well. There's great stuff in store. That's it, I'll tell you. I'm sure you'll hear more about that in the coming weeks and months. Now, last week, I told you about our Chai Chabad Seniors programs, and we are back in full swing. Lots of great stuff happening. And besides for the daily exercises, food for the mind, body, and soul, we have our daily activities from memory classes and occupational therapy to art therapy and breathing and stretching techniques and biokinetics exercises. We also started a whole new series of Torah Talks. And of course, if you want the full experience, you come join us in person at Chabadas during the week. But just to share some of the ideas, because I know, I have no doubt that many of our listeners would be fascinated by some of the ideas that we talk about. Oftentimes, it, you hear speeches, you hear a sermon from the rabbi, or you read an article, or you're studying, and what you, you know, you see it says in the Medrash, or the Talmud says, or the Torah, all these different terminologies that we're, that we're familiar with. You know, you hear the Torah, the Medrash, the Talmud, the Mishnah, Kabbalah, Halacha, Musra, Hasidus, all these different genres of Jewish teachings. These are all terms that represent a large, vast body of Jewish learning. And they contain works by hundreds or even thousands of different authors that were composed over many centuries and in every part of the world. So when you hear these terminologies and you know that these are various sources, texts of Jewish literature that represent different aspects and areas of Jewish learning. And perhaps these are terminologies that you're familiar with, but you're not sure what it's really all about. And obviously, it's difficult unless you're going to study in depth and go to yeshiva where you could sit and study pretty much 24 hours a day, seven days a week, immersed in Torah study. It becomes difficult to really comprehend and envelop yourself in all of these studies. So obviously you want to study and get a good idea. And that's exactly what we're doing in our morning shiurim. We are journeying, we're taking a bird's eye view through Basically, every genre of Torah. We're learning about the primary personalities of each of these great works. And we'll explore the nature, the characteristics of each of these areas of learning. That you understand the differences between them, when and how they were developed, and what their purpose, what they aim to achieve. And not only to learn about them, but better yet, to experience each of them. Now... While you might not be in the yeshiva environment in studying it at great length and in depth, but what if you came to a shir one day and got a taste of a page of Talmud, right? And you actually studied the page and analyzed what it looks like, what the text of the Mishnah is, how the Gemara analyzes 
and questions and answers and refutes and debates. That's the way it works. And then you read the various commentaries on each of these areas. So it's not only about knowing about each of these topics, who they were written by and why they wrote them and when it was written, etc., but to just take some time and to actually taste and, and study a page of Talmud or a page, a, a sampling, a text of Kabbalah or Halacha or the Medrash or Hakira, which is Jewish philosophy and all the different, many, so many, so many other areas and categories. And, you know, you ask, we, we try to provide. So if there's an area you want to study, then just tell us and we'll try to prepare something related to that. The point is that hopefully each day, and each time you come to one of these shiurim, and maybe, please God, over the coming weeks and months, on this version of Soul to Soul on Thursdays between 1 and 2, we'll do exactly that to to just each week take another area of Judaism, of Jewish literature more precisely, and try to analyze it to get a better understanding of what these different areas of Jewish learning are, and to get that intimate feel and, and taste of what it is to engage in a Mishnah and a Talmud and a Halacha and to resolve perhaps a Halachic dilemma or to decipher an esoteric, Kabbalistic, mystical teaching, etc. So that's, that's the point. And by getting that overview, you get that bird's eye view. You know when we do that, by the way, on Shavuos, Shavuos night, we spend the night doing the Tikkun El Shavuos. Now, it's not Erev Shavuos. Now, so I don't have to go into detail about it. But Tikkun literally means rectification. So our sages tell us that because it, ostensibly our ancestors slept the night before Matan Torah and they should have been preparing to receive the Torah at Mount Sinai. So we rectify that by studying the Torah the night before. But the Tikkun, the book of Tikkun, Lel Shavuos, it actually gives you a taste, a sampling of all areas and aspects of Torah. And that's exactly what I intend to achieve over the coming months is to give people each week a glimpse into different aspects, give you an overview of the nature, the purpose, the history of the different genres, themes of Torah teachings. And with some of them, that hands-on experience of the particular style of learning. So you get an idea from Tanakh, the Torah, the prophets, the scriptures, and the the Medrash and the Talmud and the and, and various commentaries, Rishonim, Acharonim, which means earlier date sages and later era ones, and and the various halachic works and and Musar, Jewish ethics and philosophical works known as Chakira and Kabbalah, which is the mystical side of things. So many different areas and aspects that people don't necessarily always get a ta- get a chance to study. And of course, like I said, you would have to be in yeshiva where you could immerse yourself in that study twenty four seven. But if we take a different topic each week here and daily at our Chabad Seniors program and give you that taste of each of them, then while you won't have, you won't be able to claim a, to be a master that's well versed in all these areas, but you'll certainly have some idea of what each of these aspects and areas of Jewish teachings are. All you need to do is to put on your, your Yiddish cup, you know, that Jewish thinking cap, Switch on your Jewish mind and delve into it. And of course, when we talk about the people of the book, which book do we talk about? The very first book that we get to engage in is the Torah itself. And of course, that's a very basic question that people wonder. What is the Torah? 
Now, of course, you might tell me, well, the Torah is a scroll that you place in the ark, in the Aron HaKodesh, inside the shul. And if I were to open the Torah, then you'll realize, and you would describe that the text that's inscribed in it are known as the five books of Moses. We also call it the Chumash, or in Latin, or Greek it's called the Pentateuch, because that's meaning the five books, all in one. And we know each week's Parsha, right? We have our annual Torah reading cycle that we go through. But that's only one aspect of Torah. Of course, the most sacred object in Judaism. And we're mostly familiar with the text that it contains, which is most fundamental and foundational for Judaism. But when we're back in a few moments... We will talk about another meaning of the word Torah. In fact, there's more meanings to the word Torah. And to get an under, a, a deeper understanding of what Torah, in fact, actually is. We'll be right back. Hi FM, your station of choice since 2008. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, Bubbas and Zaydas, welcome back to Soul to Soul right here on 101.9 Hi FM. I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivman. And we're talking about this exciting new initiative at Chabad Seniors Club that daily takes place at Chabad House, where every day we are looking at another aspect of Torah, literature, and getting a better understanding. And of course, here on Soul to Soul, we will try to give you a taste of some of the ideas that we discuss there at great length. Of course, if you join us in person, we hand out texts for you to follow with, to give you a taste, a sample of the various works of Jewish literature, the different genres that we're talking about. And we have videos and PowerPoint slides that bring this experience to life. But no doubt here on Soul to Soul, we can try to give you a taste of it as well. And we were talking in the previous segment of today's show about the word Torah. What does Torah mean? Now, very simply, if you're looking at the object, a Torah, we said, well, there's a Torah scroll you have in the shul. We talk about the text inside it, the five books of Moses, known as the Chumash. And we have each week's Parsha, which we, which is exactly read as the entire Torah, the five books throughout the year, the Torah reading cycle. And we talked about how it's the most important, most sacred object in Judaism, most fundamental, foundational text of the Jewish people. But... Notwithstanding its importance, the Chumash is not a very large work, in fact. It's, if you think quantity-wise, a Torah consists of just under 80,000 words. To be precise, it's 79,976 words in a Torah scroll. Not that much. It's like the, the length of a, of a short average novel. And all that was given to us by Moses. Maishur Rabbein, over a 40-year period in the Sinai Desert. That is one aspect of Torah. In fact, the very word Torah, although in English it's oftentimes translated as Bible. Bible means a book. may be related to bibliography. Some people see Torah as a book of history. But Hasidus tells us that Torah is not just his story. It's not just Moses' story. It's also her story, and more importantly, it's our story. And it's not just an ancient story, it is a very modern and contemporary story. Because the very word Torah, actually in Hebrew, doesn't really mean book. That's the English name, Bible. In Hebrew, the meaning of the word Torah means instruction. 
So the Torah is our instruction manual for life. That's what Torah is. It's our guidepost. And every week when we read and study the Torah portion, there are so many fundamental lessons that we can learn and apply to our pragmatic daily living. So the very meaning of the word Torah, instruction, has and contains within it so many lessons about how to live our life in the most meaningful and purposeful way. If you take, for example, this week's Torah portion, the portion of Shemos, uh, sorry, the portion of Era this week, but the book of Shemos, the book, the name Shemos, each parsha has its own unique name. And Shemos, the whole book, which although in English it's called Exodus, because that's the main theme of the second book of the Torah, the word Shemos literally means names. And yes, indeed, it starts off listing the names of our ancestors who came to Egypt. And it tells us, you know, uh, each of the tribes, and it tells us Yosef was already in Egypt. And if you review each parsha, you'll see so many fundamental, powerful lessons that you could learn. And you look at each of the names of the people from Moshe. Let's use him because he's the, you know, the, the main featured, char- featured character, right? The, the main actor in our Torah portion. Who is his mother? Yocheved. Who is his father? Amram. Who is his brother? Aaron. Who is his sister? Miriam. Who is his wife? Tzipporah. Who are his children? Gershom and Eliezer. We know the names of all the main characters were given their names. We know all of them who they are. But you know whose name we don't know? We don't know Pharaoh's name. Pharaoh is like saying the king, the, the Kaiser, the, the Caesar. There were many emperors in Rome. Caesar is just a title that's applied to the emperor, right? There's Julius Caesar. Each of the pharaohs, like the same title, had a name. Now, one of the famous ones was Ramses. Whether he's the one we're talking about, you know, the Torah says, he didn't know Joseph. How could you not know Joseph? It's like saying you don't know who, Man, who Nelson Mandela, who Madiba was. Or like saying, you know, this week in the States was, was Martin Luther King Day. Don't know who Martin Luther King was. That's impossible. But we don't know his name. The Torah doesn't tell us his name. By contrast, in Judaism, a name is so important. In fact, what's the Hebrew word for name? Shame, right? Shemot is the plural of shame, the names. But look at the very essence, the very source of life of every person. If you go back to the beginning of Genesis of Bereshus, where the Torah tells us about the creation of Adam and Eve, and it says, Vayipach bi'apav nishmat chaim. God fashioned man from the dust of the earth. And then God breathed into his nostrils a soul of life, nishmat chaim. What is the central letters of the word nishmat or nishama soul is shame. Those are the two middle letters of nishama. So that reminds us that a name is the essence, the life force of a person. They say that if a person is a person faints, one of the ways to try to revive them, to get them alert, is calling out their name. Your name is your essence. And we never lose our identity, our, our heritage, because it's our name that was given to us by our parents and connecting with us with our past. Right? We, we pray using Hashem's name. God has various names, and we call out to God with God's names. Now, I'm digressing on a tangent. The point I'm making is that each week's Torah portion has so many messages and lessons. Take one, for example, of today's reading in the book of Shemos, the Parsha of Eira. Today's reading. 
we read about the first three plagues. Dumb, blood, Tzvardea, the frogs, and Kinim, the third plague was that of lice. Who struck the water for the first two plagues and the earth for the third plague? Not Moses. It wasn't Moshe Rabbeinu. Rather, it was his brother Aaron. Why not Moshe? One of the very simple answers is that Moshe couldn't strike the water or the earth because they protected him. When Moses was born, his mother put him in that wicker basket in the Nile River. When Moses struck an Egyptian who was mercilessly beating a Jew, Moshe took care of this taskmaster with a divine name and then buried him in the dust of the earth. So Moshe felt that he owed a debt of gratitude to the water, to the dust. You think about it. Although Moshe was placed in that basket in the Nile River, some 80 years before, he never forgot. Because an attitude of gratitude never expires. When you're grateful to somebody, no matter how many years later, for what act of kindness they did to you. And we learn all the more so because Moshe was not doing this, expressing this gratitude to an individual person. To water, which is inanimate. And by the way, this is something that is inculcated in us as Jewish people. The very name Jew means gratitude. Yehudi comes from the name Yehuda, which was the fourth child that Leah, the wife of Yaakov, gives birth to. And she gives and expresses gratitude to Hashem for her children, for her blessings, counting our blessings in life. Of all of Jacob's children, which one are we called after? We're named after Judah, Yehuda. It's about the gratitude. Yes, Yehuda was the monarchy of Israel, so it makes sense the name came. But just think about the association, the meaning of gratitude. A Jew lives with gratitude. We start our day every morning with the very words, the first words we utter are modani. We acknowledge God's restoring our soul. Instead of waking up at West Park Cemetery, we're grateful to wake up in our home, in our loving environment, that we have all of our faculties. We're grateful. We express our gratitude to Hashem, the very first words we utter in the morning. And throughout the day, there are many actions that we do to articulate, to express that gratitude to God, to our fellow human beings, and even to the inanimate. You know, unfortunately, I find myself very often at West Park Cemetery. It just happens to be in the name of the game that I am involved with, the senior citizens. And sadly, you know, it's one of the stages of life. And I am there, and that's just part of it. I was at a funeral recently when somebody asked me why I didn't tuck my tzitzis. And you know, there's a custom that you're in a cemetery. Men hide their tzitzis. They don't wear it out. Why? So I forgot to tuck them in. And this lady reminded me. She asked me why I didn't. I didn't have a reason. It was just because I was rushing and forgot to. But it got me thinking. What's the reason we tuck our tzitzis in? It's out of sensitivity to the dead because it's only in this world while we are physically alive in this world that we're able to perform mitzvahs. While the next world is a wonderful place and there's many teachings in Judaism that tell us about how great the next world is. But this world, 
is the place where action is at. This is the world of action. This is the world in which we could do a favor for another. This is the world in which we could perform the divine commandments. Not the next world. Now, unfortunately, after a person passes away and they're no longer able to fulfill the mitzvahs, so we don't want to tease them that they can no longer do mitzvahs. So when we're at a cemetery, at a sensitivity to the dead, we hide our tzitzis. Just so that we don't in any way tease or humiliate or act insensitively to the dead. Now, I assure you that when I forgot to tuck my tzitzis and not one dead person got up to me and reprimanded me and asked me why I offended them wearing my tzitzis out. But it's not about that. We don't believe that any dead person is going to literally be insulted. It's about us being sensitive. If we can be sensitive to the dead, how much more so should we be sensitive to the living? If Moses was sensitive to inanimate waters, then how much more so should we be sensitive to our neighbors and friends? And especially to our own loving family. So my friends, the point I'm illustrating is that the word Torah, although the first thought that might come to our minds when we think of the word Torah is the scroll of Torah in the shul. But the word Torah has other meanings too. Literally it means instruction. It's our guide for life and each week's Torah portion contains so many valuable lessons to guide us through living a meaningful and purposeful life. But it's not just the five books of the Torah. In fact, colloquially and if you're in the yeshiva parlance, no doubt, when somebody uses the word Torah, they're not always referring to the scroll or the, or the Pentateuch, the Chumash. Oftentimes, the word Torah is used as a term representing hundreds of thousands of books composed by tens of thousands of authors in thousands of different places across the world. We're talking about over the last 3,335 years since God gave us the Torah at Mount Sinai. When I was studying at the Kolel in New York 15 years ago before moving to South Africa, back to South Africa, I was, it was very privileged there. We had a computer system that was, had a hard drive connected it called Otzer HaChachma. Otzer HaChachma literally means the treasure trove of wisdom. And this was actually a hard drive that contained in it over 120,000 books of Jewish literature. And when I say books of Jewish literature, I'm referring specifically to Torah. This is an organization based in Jerusalem, Otzer HaChachma, that has been working for the last 18 years or so to create a digitalized library of all the Torah works that it's able to collect. And they get these books, modern to ancient, probably a lot more ancient than, than contemporary. But the point is, they take all these books and they digitally, they scan them in to their systems and they have over 120,000 books. And my friends, I'm telling you, 120,000 is probably only a fraction of the vast body of literature that comprises the Torah. There are so many works of Torah. So when I'm saying the word Torah, you see there's multiple meanings, right? And it's the same name, Torah. Torah is the scroll. Torah is the wisdom of God. 
Torah is the lessons for life. Torah is the all the genres of Jewish literature and teachings that give us this whole vast library of Jewish wisdom. You see, and that might be confusing, but there's a very good reason that they're both called the same thing. There are basically, they're both two faces of the same coin. Two articulations of the very same body of wisdom and knowledge of this divine knowledge of, of God. You know, D- Dr. Seuss has a story about a woman who had 23 sons and she named each of them Dave. <laughs> so you have this same confusion, right? Cause, you know, they're all they got the same name. It's the same word Torah, the same title for multiple factions and ideas of teaching. They're both called Torah. They both give us the wisdom, the literature, the teachings of Judaism. So while, yes, the five books of Moses, the Chumash, the scroll in Yeshul is a Torah, but in a broader sense, the Torah is this entire body of Jewish teachings that all has all these different themes, genres, subjects, Medrash and Talmud and Halacha and Musar and Chakira and Kabbalah, composed by so many different thousands of authors over the last 3,335 years. Now what we are trying to do is to understand what is the nature of the relationship between the original Torah given to us by Moses at Mount Sinai and all the other teachings of Torah. And so, when we're back after the next break, we will talk about two aspects of Torah. The written Torah and the oral Torah. Because Jewish tradition insists that the written Torah, that which Moses gave us at Mount Sinai, it has to be treated as this inviolable text Every word and letter is significant and has to be meticulously preserved. If you look at a Torah scroll in South Africa or America or Israel or Europe or Australia or Asia, wherever you might be, it's the same exact written Torah. But nevertheless, when it comes to the oral Torah, which also is preserved as this ongoing oral communication from teacher to disciple throughout our history for many, many centuries, that, which originally, by the way, was forbidden to be officially transcribed. Rabbi Yehuda Anasi, who gave us the Mishnah, the only reason he actually wrote it down was because he didn't want these teachings to be lost or forgotten. That, there's different commentaries, different explanations, interpretations. We'll be back and we'll talk a little bit about that. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here on 101.9. Chai FM, I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivman. And we've been talking about the various meanings of the word Torah. And we concluded our last segment talking about how there are two dimensions of Torah. One is called the written Torah, Torah Shabbat Sav. And then there is the oral Torah, Torah Shabbat Peh. Now, let us delve a little bit deeper into it. You know, as we said, the, the Torah, in the narrow sense of the term, you have the Chumash, the five books of Moses, right? There's more to that actually because Torah Shabbat is not only the five books, but it's also 19 
other books that were transcribed by the prophets who lived in the thousand years following the life of Moshe Rabbeinu. And that's an era known as the era of prophecy. And those 24 books, that's what forms the Tanakh. The world calls that the, the Bible or the Jewish Bible. And that's in contrast or what Christians like to call the Old Testament. And even with not only the five books of the Torah, there's the additional 19 books. It's still a very small portion, a very, you know, quantity wise of the Torah in the broader sense of the term. Because as I said, there's hundreds of thousands of books. Otsar HaChachma has only managed so far to digitalize 120,000 of them. So the 24 books of, call it the canonized Torah, that, you know, what is that, uh, one volume. You could actually, I, I have a, a Tanakh that I was with my daughter this morning looking through probably a thousand pages, maybe, maybe a little bit more. And that's the written Torah. Tanakh, Torah Navim Ksuvim. Five books of Moses, the prophets, and the scriptures. The oral Torah is everything else. The Talmud, the Medrash, the Halachic codes, the responsa, Shilas, Shiva's questions and answers of various sages throughout history, the Kabbalistic mystical texts, uh, the so many biblical commentaries, right? The Sifra Hakira, the, the works of Torah philosophy, Musar ethics. It's an entire body of interpretation and exposition and commentary that is what forms the 120,000 plus books in Utsar HaChachma and probably hundreds of thousands of more books. If you study Rambam, Maimonides lists five components of the oral Torah. Firstly, he says the meaning, explanation, and interpretation of the written Torah is the first point. Secondly, we have the rules, the methodologies to which various laws and, and teachings are derived from the text. So from the text themselves of the Torah, we derive so many laws. You could call that derivation. Then there is the laws and principles that are communicated to Moses at Sinai, but it's not included in the in the Torah's text that's called Halach Lamash Misina. Then there's legislation. There are laws, ordinances that were enacted by the sages of various generations as safeguards for the laws of the Torah. And that, of course, is based on teachings of how to extrapolate the laws of the Torah to apply them to our daily living. And then various enactments from the sages of each generation for the sake of the common good in light of this idea, the, the circumstances, whatever is going on in their era. You know, electricity is fairly modern. And not only electricity, we start getting, you know, to our, to our smartphones and various things that, that come up in later times. So these are takanas, unlike the laws from Osha at Sinai, unlike the gezeras, the enactments and decrees that were created as, as fences, as boundaries, as safeguards for observing the Torah, there's also what we call takanas, which are various enactments by the sages throughout history. So this creates, this gives us the, the basic categories, the received Torah, 
the written Torah and the laws of Moses at Sinai, the derived laws and legislated laws that are enacted in each generation by the sages of that time. Now, of course, to get in depth into all that will will take too much effort and energy and understanding, so we're just going more overview. And we understand that if you look at the history of Jewish literature, although we're going back to Mount Sinai and even before that, but let's say the most fundamental foundational text, the five books of Moses and the rest of the Tanakh, and then you have all of these works of Torah Shabbat the oral law. And that itself, in fact, originates at Mount Sinai, the giving of the Torah. But the first written books that contain these teachings, that is the actual Torah itself. The rest, so to say, the call that the textbook, and the oral Torah was more like the professor's lectures. So when you think about the written Torah Shabbat as its very name implies, that was put into writing. Moshe transcribed his five books, and the later prophets, they transcribed their books through divine communication that they received from God by prophecy or by divine inspiration, Ruach HaKadosh. That was the canonized Torah itself. Then comes the oral Torah, which is which originally was only oral. It was handed down from teacher to student, from from one generation to the next, without being officially put in writing. And that is the Masara, the chain of tradition, from generation to generation. Maimonides tells us that each student was permitted to keep a private notes for their own use of what their teacher taught them, but they weren't allowed to have an official published book. I mean, obviously, publication didn't exist then, but you know what I mean? It wasn't a definitive text of these teachings that the disciple learned from their teacher. Just to preserve the oral nature of it, yeah, you took notes in your class, maybe to remember it better. In fact, the Talmud tells us that it was forbidden to publish a written text of those teachings. That's what the Gemara tells us, that they couldn't actually publish the original oral law. It had to remain oral in the sense that it was passed on from generation to generation. But of course, at some point in history, I think it was by Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi, about 1800 years ago, which is like 1500 years after the giving of the Torah at Mount Sinai, that the oral Torah began to be put into writing. Because Rabbi Yehuda Hanasi feared that if we don't transcribe it, then he thought it would get lost or it would get perverted because there would become, I mean, look at a, ta- a page of Talmud already today with the diversity of opinions in it, how much more so if it was left any longer. But even today, after the publication of so many thousands of books of the oral Torah, we still call it the oral Torah. The oral Torah remains this ongoing conversation. It's not a static text. And we'll talk more about that in our concluding thoughts just now. IFM 101.9 megahertz of life. 
Welcome back to Soul to Soul, right here at 101.9. Chai FM, I'm your host, Rabbi Ari Kivan, and we're talking today about the people of the book and the book itself, and looking at the original book, the Torah. And we talked so far today about the various meanings of the word Torah. And in our last segment, we were talking about the written Torah versus the oral Torah. And although the oral Torah today is written, but it is still called the oral Torah because it's this ongoing conversation of various commentaries from long ago all the way to this very day. So in other words, the Torah is designed to exist in two distinct formats. We have the written text, Torah Shabbat and we also have the Torah Shabbat this oral ongoing conversation. So yes, the written Torah itself, the first it, it's consisted of books, the canonized 24 books of the Torah. Even those can be broken down into more books, but there's 24 official books, which if you join us in our in-person programming at Chabad during the week, we will analyze and look and taste each one of them. But the second part, the oral Torah, is not about the books per se. It's more about the people, the teachers, the students who engaged in this continuing dialogue and deliberation throughout the generations. So whereas you could say the very beginning, the first, the written Torah is the first people. It's the beginning of creation. It's the whole narrative of the Torah itself, what Moses gave us on Mount Sinai. And yes, there was his brother Aaron and there were the, there were his children, Elazar and Isamar and there was there were, there were the, the elders of the time, as we'll read in a couple of weeks' time, how Yisro, father-in-law of Moses, directs him, guides him to delegate responsibility, and how he teaches his student, Joshua, Yeshua. We'll go through the books of the prophets, we'll get an understanding of the prophets and the judges and the kings, and how the tradition was passed on from generation to generation. And while you have the written format of the Torah, after that comes the oral Torah, which probably is after the men of the great assembly, the Anshe Knesset Agdala, and after them comes the great sages of the Mishnah and the Talmud and the Bishonim and the Achronim and many generations all the way to today. And so when we, when you join us or perhaps in next week's Soul to Soul on Thursday between one and two, we'll try to understand because originally it was forbidden to have an official text of the Oral Torah. It was meant to remain as a tradition that was passed on from generation to generation. But as we said, that policy was changed because otherwise there was a fear that Rabbi Yudanasi had that the Torah would be, for, that the oral of the Torah, the oral traditions would be forgotten if it wasn't actually transcribed at some stage. And so, please God, in our future segments here, and certainly at the in-person programming at Chabad Seniors Club each morning, we are going to take the time to understand the difference between the written Torah and the oral Torah. We're going to take the time to actually delve into the various texts and understand what each of the books of the oral Torah, and then we're going to jump into the oral Torah, the various genres and themes of Jewish literature and teachings that we mentioned. And we'll analyze and get a taste of each of them. But before we can understand the different works of Torah, we need to know what the written Torah contains. So our first week, next week, not first week, we already went through in the past week, introducing and explaining what we're going to do. Now we're going to start next week, and please, I invite you to come join us in person, where we're going to go on this little, we're going to embark on a journey. We'll take a guided tour of the 24 books of 
Tanakh, which constitutes the foundations upon which the entire edifice of Jewish learning is built. Because as we mentioned today, that the Torah comes in both these forms, the written and the oral. So before we could get into the oral, we have to understand what is in this foundational, fundamental, basic text of the written Torah. Now we're not going to go in depth, as I mentioned, we're only going to do a bird's eye view and give you a summary and a taste of each of the books, just like we do on Shavuos night with the Tikkunel Shavuos. And understand what the foundation and fundamental teachings are before we move into the oral teachings that we talked about that at first were officially not allowed to be transcribed. And we'll learn and understand why eventually they were transcribed and what insights and teachings they contain. I'm looking forward for you to join us in person for this. Please come join us at Chabad during the week from 9.30 a.m. till 12.30 p.m., Monday through Thursday. Come join us for the people of the book. Get book smart. Come learn what our Torah, both the written and oral, is all about. And I look forward to riding on this journey together with you. As we always say right here, remember to aspire to inspire before you expire. So don't retire and come join. I, does this make, can I, can I rhyme it? Our shire, our sheer? Yes, ladies and gents, carpe diem, seize the moment. We don't know what tomorrow brings. So chaparain today. Have a great Shabbos. God bless you.